Welcome back to the Dad in a Rock podcast, night two of WrestleMania 36. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, we are here again. Uh, boy, it feels like we just did this uh, <laughs> last night. You're having a serious case of deja vu right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so last night we were uh, recording the podcast and uh, we were already an hour into it. Uh, decided that it uh, might be better to break up uh, WrestleMania just like WWE did this year. We're here to discuss night two. Uh, which had uh, quite a few uh, decent matches, and you kind of gave a little uh, spoiler last night, but I guess this was your uh, preferred night out of the two? Yeah, out of the two nights, this is the one I enjoyed the most. I think there was more, what the crap am I watching? And then I, like, for instance, the uh, Edge Norton match, just Edge by himself. Yeah, so the you know when Edge comes out, he almost overshadows you know The Undertaker for me. Just, just his music. I think his music is right there. I mean, when you hear... You think you know me. And all of a sudden it starts going, the crowd goes nuts. I mean, even with it being an empty arena, I still got that feeling like he was coming out. And this is going to be big. Um, yeah, it takes you right back to uh, like late 90s, early 2000s, WWE, the last time we were really into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's getting a little ahead of us. But I mean, as, as a whole, I enjoyed this evening uh, a lot more than uh, night one. Well, awesome. I guess let's just uh, get right into it. Uh, the first match that opens up night two uh, Rhea Ripley, NXT's women's champion, uh, versus, uh, woo, Charlotte Flair, um, which, uh, I'm aware of. I, I guess she's, uh, getting to be kind of a bigger star. She's been doing this thing. She's in, I think she's like 36, 37 years old, and she's been with WWE for a bit. Of course, a legacy, um, you know, fighting in the same style as her, uh, her, her father, Ric Flair, the immortal Ric Flair. Uh, what'd you think of this match? I mean, this one was entertaining. I was kind of judging night two, a lot of, you know, by how they started, because night one started kind of you know entertaining. That tag match was was fun. This one here, I was kind of watching. I say they put you know Charlotte Flair. They're going for you know high quality to start night two. They go ahead and get you hooked, and uh, it was it was fun. I mean, they're going back and forth. I was pulling for Ripley, uh, just because I didn't. I don't know. I kind of felt like it'd be more appropriate, and they could have maybe continued a rivalry maybe between her and, and Flair that they could have maybe played upon later. And further and further down the road, definitely if uh, Charlotte Flair went back to NXT, uh, which now that she's a champion, I think that's the idea that she's going to return back to NXT and kind of play on that card for a while and actually leave whatever main one she's on now. Because I know she's on one of the big shows, but now that she's the champion of that one, I think she's going to go back to one of those and kind of bring the spotlight back over there. Yeah, this kind of um, was similar to me, at least, of uh, the first night's match with uh, Becky Lynch, who's kind of the, um, you know, the solid woman superstar that holds the belt, holds the main title over on the Raw side, uh, kind of fighting the uh, the up-and-comer. Um, I don't know if this Rhea Ripley was as scary as uh, Shayna was, but uh, um, apparently Rhea's a pretty, you know, up-and-comer herself. Uh, you know, pretty young, only about 23, but uh, kind of rising through the ranks. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Rhea had the belt, so she went in as the champion. So, I mean, even watching her promos, I mean, the character they've got around her, I mean, it seems fun. It's kind of like the, the punk rock type character. It kind of goes almost back to, you know, our WCW days with like with like Raven, you know, falling yeah. in the corner and kind of doing his thing. It, it kind of hearkened from that type character, that error. Which may be why I kind of gravitated towards her and wanted her to win. Because back then, I couldn't give two craps about Ric Flair. He annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah. So, I mean, and that may have been kind of why I was rooting against Charlotte. Just just the name itself. <laughs> right. And seeing the strut and the chop and the figure four. And seeing all of... I'm, I'm seeing Rick 
when you know Rick doesn't have a, a chest on him. <laughs> yeah, we have to uh, we have to mention that I guess and bring it up. You have this uh, this kind of disdain for Ric Flair, I guess, because uh, you lived in the North Carolina um, area for a while, and I guess he was all over the TV around that area. Oh, nonstop. And uh, I love Ric Flair. I I totally love the uh, the character and his history, seventies, eighties. Uh, looking at his old promos and uh, jet flying, limousine riding. Uh, I'm a sucker for all that stuff, but uh, you don't really care for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never did. And I it, I really don't know why. I mean, it, it could be you know, what you were mentioning there, being down in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. Yeah. He was all over the place, always. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be the big the big detractor for me. Do you notice how she's named Charlotte, like Charlotte, North Carolina? You know what? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that, that, that's kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, Charlotte Flair wins the belt. Um, I mean, it seems fairly fitting. Uh, I don't know if maybe they just wanted the um, a larger name for the NXT brand uh, for those shows that air. I believe NXT actually airs shows on the USA Network. Uh, so maybe um, as uh, we're kind of continuing through this uh, quarantine era 2020, I've heard that WWE is trying to do a lot of uh, more pre-taped events. Uh, leading into you know Raw, SmackDown, and this NXT show on USA, so maybe they just wanted to uh, have that name draw over there. Yeah, and I think NXT actually runs on Tuesday nights, so if you're kind of looking for something, maybe the night to go ahead and do it. Uh, that was just, I mean, I, I just kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, I think it was last night, just kind of going through and setting things up to record. But uh, I mean, it may be something we check out. My my son kind of enjoys, you know, watching. I almost feel like there's almost more action. In these in these fights here, because they're kind of going back for they're smaller, so they're flipping, they're moving quicker, right? Kind of like the old uh, the, I don't know if it's a good comparison, but kind of like the luchadors. Remember how like small and how fast and you know the six one nine, yes, you know all that stuff. I feel like we see. I think they even referenced that in one of the matches. One of the girls actually pulled a six one nine, and they actually referred to Rey Mysterio. So I mean, it, that in that aspect, it's it's a good time. It's a good watch. I, I may actually tune into it just to see what it is. I mean, the ring itself isn't even white; it's black, as far as I can tell. So it, it's got their own little uh, little thing. Like you know, I think WCW had a blue ring at one point, or if it was you know TNA or one of those when they had their own hokey or the the octagon ring or whatever it was in one of them. Yeah, so Charlotte Flair wins the belt. Uh, next match, we've got Aleister Black versus Bobby Lashley. Uh, what can you say about this match? Now, I heard something funny on Facebook about this match here. Oh, uh, really? Someone poked fun at Bobby Lashley. I was like, you know what? Bobby Lashley playing to an empty crowd? He's used to the silence. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're, they're getting him on face on uh, Twitter. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, just to put it put it bluntly, this was kind of a stinker. I mean, Aleister Black won it. It's a raw battle, so I mean, like I was mentioning in the past, I'm I'm turning into more of a, a SmackDown guy just because my son, right? But uh, I think there's 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 some type of feud going on back and forth. It, it's terrible that we really don't know much about it since <laughs> we're reviewing the actual <laughs> the night here. Give us a little slack. We're just kind of getting back into this and yeah, it's, enjoying some of the uh, fun. It's tough. We're newbies here. We don't know everybody. We're still kind of getting used to all the different characters. Maybe you've been watching for uh, for a few years, and this match with Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley was like the highlight of the night for you, but uh, we have no idea who these guys are. <laughs> Fairly forgettable. So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll kind of move on. Now, the next match with Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. Dolph is actually a wrestler I am aware of. He kind of had his height um, of popularity maybe about a decade ago. The guy's been in the company for a while. 
I know he was an A-lister when, when, you know, John Cena was still stomping around. And I think, you know, if I can tell by the card here, it looks like his uh, stars kind of diminished a bit. Uh, this seemed to be kind of a lesser match. Yeah, this one here, I mean, Otis is a, uh, the way they were playing him off, he, he's a big guy. He's a, when I mean big guy, not like a Undertaker big guy. I mean, he's a, he's a round he's guy. He's a wide guy. And and then he's in like a small t-shirt, and then he's got the typical, you know, wrestler briefs on. So he, they're playing him off as a sloppy, you know, guy that like a bastion is kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then apparently he asked his, one of these women out and, and her best friend blew him off through text. So she didn't, he didn't show because she thought she wasn't going to be there. So they played that whole edge and that's how Dolph Ziggler wound up with her. And then there was some guy that came out like, you know, wearing the mask in front of the computers. Yeah. You know, that had to the actual feed and kind of showed it. So the two best friend and girls kind of turned on each other. And it was that whole thing. And Otis winds up winning. And you know, with him winning, he wins the girl, too. So it's, you know, the big guy, the big underdog guy walks away with a gorgeous girl. So it's, you know, your, trip, your typical movie kind of ending of that match. There. Yeah, that seemed to be the highlight of the match is the ending with Otis walking away and, um, you know, carrying the girl with them and then smooching as they were walking away from the ring, um, which is a shame because, I mean, the, the matches that Dolph Ziggler had, that guy was a worker. He reminded me of, of Shawn Michaels at the time, just like the agility and just um, the, the stamina. He could carry a match like for uh, for a long time. So. For him to be in kind of this weird kind of comedic match with Otis, uh, I don't know. Hopefully, they do better things with him going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it. I mean, I mean, I know you said you you followed him back then. I mean, just based on what I seen uh, the week or two weeks going into WrestleMania, then WrestleMania. I mean, I feel like he's a disposable talent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I almost feel like that he they can move on from him because I didn't feel like there was much much there what were they and i i mean I, I referred to this guy once before just in joking but he almost had that val venus feel to him mm. i mean he's he's playing the playboy right and that, that's that's kind of the angle they're doing and it, it, it kind of reckons back to night one with undertaker because when i mean val venus was attitude error undertaker leaves that's you know that's the undertaker that's the attitude area undertaker right so it's almost like they harkened back a couple times to some older type characters and see if they can you know relive some of that some of that magic because this you know this these two nights in this era we're in gave him some liberties to go ahead and try some things and some worked some didn't yeah yeah well that's a shame i mean uh dolph ziggler he he was great on the mic too if i if i'm remembering right it's been a few years but oh well so we'll we'll just see how that uh moves forward here but speaking of the attitude era uh we've got edge fighting in the next match edge versus randy orton and randy orton's been kind of a staple here of the last decade too um he also had his height around that time I, except randy orton i don't think his stars diminished at all if anything he's kind of cemented his status as wwe elite you know rko out of nowhere is a meme like <laughs> you, you yeah. can go around in rko i saw a meme the other day a uh, Florida man gets arrested for the second time RKOing a alligator. Uh, so <laughs> that just stuff is out there, man. Randy Orton's kind of part of the zeitgeist. But this match, what a heck of a match. A last man standing match. I guess a, kind of like a no holds barred. Just uh, going anywhere, inside, outside the ring. What do you think about this match? This one was fun. This one here, you didn't so much realize that there was no crowd. They were only in the ring for the beginning of the match. Before you realize it, they were behind the scenes. They were in the weight room. They were in the offices. They were in in the back where the semis are. They were all throughout this arena. So you didn't get that empty feeling that you got from other matches. And that's I think that may have been why it sucked me in. 
But like I kind of harkened back to in the beginning of the show, Edge, when he comes out, he it gives me chills. And I, I actually went back and watched, uh, I think it was the Rumble, when he came out after being gone for nine years. Yeah. So when they heard his music and you heard the crowd go crazy and you've seen him come out, I literally had like hair standing up on my neck. I mean, I, I got that, even though it wasn't live, I and I knew it was coming because I jumped right to it. It still gave me that like that emotion, like you know he's back. So I remember when he walked away. Oh yeah, and it wasn't something of his doing. It was it was medically right why he walked away, and the fact that he was back, uh, it was an awesome, awesome you know, experience to see. And then this match here, they're going back and forth, and these two used to be tight. It's fun to see them play that angle. I'm kind of curious if they enjoy it. Oh yeah, because you know they've got to be buds. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, it, you know these guys that uh, know each other tend to like work well together. It, it's funny, you know, behind the scenes, it's like when you hear wrestlers talk, like you mentioned uh, last night uh, when uh, Mark Calloway, aka the Undertaker, was sitting down with Steve Austin. Like they were talking about some of their famous feuds, and they actually prefer working against guys that they like to be around. I mean, you think about it, like if you're going to be booked to be in a, a heated uh, rivalry against a guy, you're going to be performing with them in the ring. You're going to be yelling at them on the mic over and over again for nights on end, several nights in a row. You wouldn't want to do that with somebody you genuinely don't like. Yeah, it's not just that, though. It's also where there's a level of trust. Oh, yeah. You don't want to have a stinker. So if you are friends with this, you know, this other person, you know they're going to bring it. And if they're going to bring it, you're going to bring it. So it's not going to be like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to actually get that match that you're looking for or that, you know, the reaction that you're looking for when you're good friends with somebody and you know what they're going to do and they know what you're going to do. It makes the performance probably a lot easier than I say a greenhorn. Yeah. So, I mean, a heck of a match. And you kind of were watching uh, Raw and SmackDown a, a couple weeks prior to uh, WrestleMania here. Did they give any kind of backstory as to why these guys were going at it? So edges in the ring. Orton comes out and they're kind of hugging. They're, they're they're thinking about possibly getting back together again, doing their their thing like they used to do. Yeah. And out of nowhere, an RKO comes. Oh no! Just, just boom, he hits him and starts beating him up. And you know, tell him he loves him. And he does this. And he, he's trying to beat the crap out of him. To kind of, I see the angle he's doing. Yeah. He's trying to keep him from hurting himself. He doesn't want him to fight anymore. He wants him to stay retired. That's the angle he's playing. That's that's the love card he's playing. But then they go a step further. So they go in and instead of Edge coming out to accept the match against Orton, yeah. Edge's wife is in the ring and she's talking and she's accepting the match for him. And Orton comes out and he's talking and he's saying how he loves Edge and their kids more than she does. And then the next thing you know, another RKO out of nowhere. He RKO's her. What? <laughs> in the middle of the ring. And uh, this is I think this is still with live a live audience, actually. Yeah. And then it's on and then they're going, then the bad blood starts and they're going back and forth and he's trying, he's trying to keep edge from hurting himself and like crippling himself and keeping himself from his kids and his wife. That does, that's the back and forth they were playing on it. Wow. And so they start going at it pretty heavily. That's uh, uh, in the match. That's high drama. That's some, um, that's some melodrama there. That's some, uh, that's some complicated bad guy stuff. You're uh, really kind of <laughs> warping your own mind into thinking you're doing the right thing. I like that angle. Yeah, and it was it was pretty cool. I mean, they went at it. I mean, they were hitting each other with like almost with the push sleds that's in the gyms. They wound up on top of a tractor trailer in the back, and uh, Edge got one of his, his spears or whatever his move was, yeah. and then put him out and hit him with a chair or what it was. And you can see when he didn't get up, uh, this may have been real. It's one of those things where you're kind of walking that line. Mm -hmm. He dropped down to him. He goes head to head. You couldn't see his face. 
and it almost looked like he mouthed something to him before he you know, they kind of faded away. Right. Because it was his first match back in forever. Yeah. And it was, in my opinion, the best match of WrestleMania. I, like I said, I didn't get the you know, the empty feeling because they weren't in, in the actual, you know, in the in the ring at all. They were out and about. Yeah. That was the only match, honestly, that felt like WrestleMania. Like, yeah, it could it could be in any one of the uh, typical regular WrestleManias. <laughs> y- yeah, yeah. No, it may have fallen a little a little flat because of the situation for some people. But for me, I mean, that's that's what I wanted. When I seen Edge, when I seen Orton, I you know, it was last man standing match. It was kind of what I what I wanted. Now, some people I read that said it was lacking a little bit of violence. But I mean, you're you're splitting hairs here, honestly. I think it's just the fact that Edge is out there and he brings. I think he brings the the people to watch Night Two. Yeah. Over Brock Lesnar or Charlotte Flair or you know John Cena even anymore. He's the rated R superstar. Yeah, he was the name absolutely. Yeah, so we go from arguably the best match of uh, both nights uh, into this, um, I don't know, this tag team match between uh, some Raw tag teams, which uh, I didn't recognize anybody, uh, out of a match that was excellent where I recognized, uh, you know, both guys um, and were able to kind of harken back those nostalgic feelings and uh, see some high drama to a bunch of folks I did not recognize at all. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, all the tag team matches for me kind of fell flat. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I, maybe it was just uh, the lack of fans in the you know, arena or, or or whatever it is. But yeah, the Street Profits here went up against Angel Garza and Austin Theory. And apparently Austin Theory and Garza were only together for a few weeks prior to this. So they weren't even a tag team that's been together for a long time. So you know, the Street Profits right there just had the leg up uh, for this here. And I didn't feel this was it, this match wasn't WrestleMania quality. Right. Or was it worthy? I mean, this could have easily been one of their you know, many or 11 other, you know, pay-per-view events that they could have put this on and, you know, kind of trim this one off here. That was, honestly, it was a lot of fat in these two nights that they could have trimmed back and gone ahead and, you know, made it a little more condensed. But uh, they were they were committed to that two night, you know, too big for one night, you know, yeah. event. So they kind of had to go all in on it. But, uh, I mean, Street Profits walked away with this when they kept the belts. That's I mean, that's, that's about all I have with that. I mean, the Street Profits seem fun, but, I mean, once again, they're raw, and I'm not going to get to know them unless I, you know, sneak some wrestling in without my son. <laughs> yeah, or be about a, a month or two behind when they finally air it on the WWE Network, which, I mean, you can't really do that either. So, as you mentioned, the Street Profits, they they won, they kept the belts. The following match, Bailey versus Sasha Banks versus Lacey Evans versus Tamina versus Naomi, fatal five-way match. Yeah, so we're kind of rounding out the remaining uh, female talent from, uh, seems like, mainly the uh, SmackDown roster. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Fatal 5-Way match, this could go one way or the other, depending on the talent, depending on what they actually do with it. Um, it could be, like, kind of an issue where there's too many cooks in the kitchen, where it could just kind of mass confusion. Or if it's played right, it could go uh, really, really well. What do you think about this match? Uh, this match here, I mean, Bailey and Sasha Banks are actually really good friends. Yeah. So they they kind of come out and they're 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 buddy to buddy. So the whole you know the whole angle of this match would be like, where is Sasha going to wind up? Is she going to go after Bailey to try to win the belt? Uh, but then you have Lacey Evans, Tamia, and Naomi. Tamia, she is she's a big girl. That that's a woman I would not want to piss off. She uh, looks like she will beat you down in a heartbeat. So the other four basically went after her. Yeah. They they took her out. They pinned actually all four of them were laying on top of her to pin her, and they got her out. 
And then it was, you know, Tamia and Lacey Evans versus Sasha Banks and Bailey. And they went back and forth. And I think when Bailey and Sasha Banks were teaming up on Lacey Evans, Lacey Evans, I guess she has something called like the people's fist or the people's elbow or people, some type of big old right hand. <laughs> yeah. And she basically knocked out Sasha Banks. They pinned her. She was gone. And I'm, I'm, I think Naomi may have been gone by now. So it's just Bailey and Lacey Evans. And it almost looked like th- that Lacey Evans was going to wind up winning this belt. And then out of nowhere, Sasha Banks comes in and does her finishing move on Evans and Bailey pins her and Bailey walks away with the championship still. So, it, I mean, the match, the match itself was fun. It was enjoyable. But the ending was they missed the ending by a mile. Oh, like they, yeah. didn't, they didn't stick the landing. It's like one of those really great movies you're watching. And then the ending, you're like, really? I mean, that's the only thing I can really equate to it. I mean, they... They had this. This this was theirs for the you know for the taking, and it, they just the whole Sasha Banks coming in and doing her finishing move on Evans for Billy to win just really really missed the mark for me. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, this is another grouping of uh, talent that I'm only kind of somewhat familiar with as far as you know. I know the names Bailey, Sasha Banks, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, what comes out of this match going forward. Yeah, this is definitely something I can see them rolling forward actually into more matches and tag teams uh into you know another big match because you know the way it went down maybe excluding sasha banks and having it a uh, a three-way match or, so- or something crazy or, or, or trying to do some big you know their first hell in a cell or you know what i mean some cage match or something to avoid sasha banks from actually interfering with bailey's match uh, with one of these other you know uh, three women so i can see them continuing this and actually kind of look forward to it because it was it was one of the more fun storylines they went you know had going and what they went on the match was enjoyable like I said it's just the ending just didn't do it for me yeah and as we continue here we have uh, essentially two matches left uh, for the remainder of night two here and I'm gonna call an audible um, and talk about probably the uh, the WTF match maybe to end it but uh, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, the match for the WWE Championship Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre. Uh, this was a match. I mean, these two guys, these two guys are huge. I mean, you and I are definitely aware of Brock Lesnar, uh, with both his WWE career and his, uh, UFC career. Um, the guy's been around for a long, long time. Uh, he's famous kind of, uh, even inside and outside the professional wrestling as a whole is just a kind of a super athlete, even from back at his, um, you know, wrestling days in college. Um, and this other guy, Drew McIntyre, I was only kind of fairly aware of. Apparently, he's been with the company for a while and could never really get his star power going, even though he was a guy that uh, McMahon kind of believed in. It was it was kind of tough to really get into a storyline that connected with folks. Um, but, uh, man, Drew McIntyre, you don't really notice it until you see him and Brock Lesnar square up. But uh, the guy's looking down at Brock Lesnar, which is pretty remarkable <laughs> yeah i mean he's built too i mean he's he's a, yeah. he's a monster quite frankly oh, yeah. yeah i mean you have the beast and a monster kind of standing in the same ring and it's like okay is, there, is the ring going to give way like a day for the slam <laughs> on a uh, big show <laughs> but uh i mean yeah this one was fun going back and forth it was just brock lesnar's like persona you know right that was there and then Heyman on the outside you kind of doing his thing well, Heyman was so loud, and with that empty arena, and all you heard was Heyman screaming from the side, like, wow, he's got a big mouth. I mean, he's always had a big mouth, but without the white noise of the crowd to kind of drown him out, you, he was really pronounced. <laughs> uh, hearing that, you know, the referees all night long threw me off. That, I thought that was weird, because that's something we never hear. We never hear the refs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this match here, I mean, it, it had its highlights. It, I mean, 
Brock Lesnar going down. It almost has the feel that you know Lesnar may be stepping back again for a while. Yeah. That's kind of the feel I got from this. Almost like a, I don't want to say a passing of the torch, but almost like he there's an injury that we don't know about, or there's a surgery coming up that we don't know about. There's something that he needs some time away to go ahead and do his thing, or he's got some crazy uh, you know MMA thing coming up that we don't know about. So uh, with Lesnar, you really never know. I know the first time he left, he left on a whim. He said, "I'm done," and just left. Hell, it could be something like that again, and there was no 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 fans singing na 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 this time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've already talked about him, his match with Goldberg, um, and he kind of Lesnar kind of makes his own rules, which is very strange in, in the WWE. I mean, I mean, Vince McMahon reigns supreme, and it seems like Brock Lesnar has always kind of had this dynamic where he was able to set things and and work for ufc and wwe simultaneously like who, who else would have the cojones and the, the brass to actually do something like that and get away with it um but uh, even now i think you're right here recently with uh, the coronavirus and the show itself uh lesnar's been pretty outspoken against mcmahon for even deciding to go on with the show uh he felt that it was kind of uh not a great idea to have the wrestlers you know in, in the locker room he felt it wasn't great uh, and, he, and he thought the show should have been, uh, if not canceled, then at least rescheduled. So uh, there may be some behind-the-scenes drama going on there. Maybe that's why we did have a match that was essentially just uh, finishing moves back and forth for about, uh, you know, seven to ten minutes until finally the match was over. Yeah, I mean, I think you may be onto something there. Uh, I really wonder how, you know, how he kind of come comes and goes. I wonder how he actually plays in the locker room. Yeah. Because these guys are with each other. They're, you know, a lot of these guys are friends. I know him and uh, The Undertaker aren't buddy-buddy. Right. I know there is a, there's an actual beef between those two, because they even played it off when Undertaker went to see one of his UFC fights when he was in the crowd. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that those two aren't friends, and, and maybe for this reason, because Undertaker is the most loyal oh, yeah. person to McMahon. Even uh, when I was watching the Broken Skull series, when WCW was whooping their butts for like almost two years, I mean, basically, uh, Stone Cold asked Undertaker, did you ever think of leaving? Yeah. And his uh, his response was, Vince was the one that gave him his opportunity. Right. Everyone else told him, a guy his size, they'll never pay to see wrestle. And he was loyal, he was loyal to that. He said, you know, if that ship went down, I was going down on that ship. So you think of a guy that has that mentality, and then you cross it with a Brock Lesnar's mentality of saying, I'm going to do what I want when I want. There, I mean, that that's oil and water. There's no way that's going to play. Yeah, I hear you there. I think that's uh, probably uh, the case with Lesnar. I'm, You know, I've also heard good, good things about Brock Lesnar, but it, it's very interesting to be a fly on that wall to see how that uh, backstage, that locker room dynamic is uh, between the uh, the rest of the roster there. Um, but uh, I mean, going forward, you know, talk a little bit about Drew McIntyre. This is really the first fight that I've seen him in. Um, I think his finishing move is really interesting. I've never really seen that before where it's just kind of a, a drop kick out of nowhere. He kind of does a short run and goes completely horizontal with a foot to the face of the other guy. The claymore, I think he calls it. He doesn't even need to run. It just comes <laughs> <Yeah>. out of nowhere. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. And for a guy that size to be that agile to do something like that, you know, I have yet to see too much of him on the mic. Um, so, uh, you know, it's hard to say whether or not he has the charisma to be a good champion. But he's certainly got the size. He's got the finishing move. Uh, he's got a decent backstory to kind of uh, – put wind in his sails going forward. So uh, I don't know, maybe he'll be a, a decent champion. Now with it being WWE champion, do they cross promote? Like do they go back and forth between you know, SmackDown and raw and kind of back and forth that way? Since it doesn't say 
you know, SmackDown WWE champion or Raw right. WWE champion, like it does, say, for the tag belts. I'm not quite sure how that works these days. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe it's broken up between, you know, the WWE title and the Universal title. I think that's how it used to work anyway, where the Universal title was kind of the SmackDown title and the WWE championship stayed on Raw. I don't know if that's how they uh, break it up these days, though. It's tough to say. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm just thinking that way because, you know, how much am I going to see him? Am I going to see him, you know, much of the interaction or anything down those lines? Uh, it's going to be interesting going forward, only watching one of the promotions. Yeah. Uh, to see how much I actually get. Or is there going to be a point where, like, you know, I just need to watch need to watch Raw. Right. Even though Raw is three, see, this is one of this is one of my biggest things about TV shows nowadays. Sorry about the rant. <laughs> uh, they want so much time of you, so much of your time. If it's you know the singing you know performances where they want two to three hours you know two times a night. If it's America's Got Talent, the same thing. They're doing all these live shows. Raw fall, you know, WWE falls in that exact same thing. Three hours on Monday, two hours on Friday. So, I mean, they're, they're demanding so much time. So it's, it's kind of, I've gotten away from a lot of it because it's hard for me to go ahead and be able to devote that much time to a TV show, essentially. Big Brother. I used to love Big Brother. I, I just can't watch it three times a week now. Yeah. Uh, maybe, it's, I mean, it, it just becomes too much. Like, there's other things I want to do. I don't schedule my stuff around TV shows and even with DVRs. Because if you DVR it, you get behind three, four, five shows, then it's, it's near impossible to catch up. But uh, that, that's the end of my thing there. But uh. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, that's 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 kind of what's kept me from really enjoying it, too. I mean, the, the good thing is, or I guess you can consider it a good thing. Um, if I were to watch, you know, Raw going forward, for example, I would have to just record it and um, kind of skip through it after the fact. Uh, from what I hear, they have so many darn commercials throughout the um, throughout the live airing that that would just drive me nuts being the cord cutter that I am anyway. So it's something that I would either maybe catch on uh, like a Hulu or something afterwards. I think it, it might air on Hulu. But that's it as far as uh, that match goes. I mean, kind of a disappointing match. Uh, like we said, it was fairly short for this guy to be his, you know, for this to be Drew McIntyre's WrestleMania moment for him to finally win the WWE title. Uh, hopefully he feels good about it because honestly, it wasn't that great uh, of a match. Um, and, and, you know, questions are kind of still surrounding uh, what Brock Lesnar's role is with the company going forward in the near future. So um, I did want to start talking about probably the most unique match that I've ever seen WWE put on, and this is probably even beats out last night's match with the the Boneyard match, which was probably at that point the most unique match I've ever seen <laughs> WWE put on. Uh, so, you know, it only took them one night to top themselves. Yeah, so Bray Wyatt's Firefly Funhouse match uh, against John Cena. I, I want to lead into this here. They did a, a lead-in on SmackDown Friday night before WrestleMania started. And John Cena came out. It was like one of the last things of the evening. And it was creepy as hell. I mean, it had it had me kind of like, it had me weirded out. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Because they have, you know, these little puppets that are talking, you know, for the fiend. And, you know, one pop, John Cena comes out to start, start cutting a promo. And all of a sudden this little puppet pops up in the corner. And it starts talking to him. Then another puppet pops up. And then there's four puppets, you know, surrounding him just talking. And all of a sudden all of them go say, He's here. Mm. And then the lights go out. And then it comes back on. And do you know the the, the platform that, that Grunk jumped off of? Yes. The Fiend is actually standing up there staring at uh, John Cena. Oh, wow. And there, there's just a stare down. He's got, it just looks creepy as hell. 
and then lights go out again, and Bright and Wyatt's behind Cena. And I mean, they played this up on you know SmackDown pretty high, and it gave it a really uh, creepy, creepy feel to it. And uh, I was in. I didn't know what I was going to see, but they had me hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, how familiar are you with Bray Wyatt uh, in general? I mean, you know, compared to, you know, we come from the Attitude Era or whatever, and he's been around uh, at least, I don't know, for the, most of the last 10 years or so. But have you seen Bray Wyatt before? No, this was my first really introduction to him. I know apparently John Cena and uh, Bray Wyatt have had a few uh, run-ins in the past. Yeah. Which I've kind of just learned, you know, just within the past few weeks. It was it was entertaining. Yeah, this guy actually he does come from a wrestling family. His dad actually was uh, Irwin R. Scheister, IRS, from back in oh. the uh, back in the day. You know, he the guy with the glasses and the white collar shirt and the briefcase who used to yeah, hang around yeah. Ted DiBiase. Uh, that was his dad. So uh, it comes from a wrestling family. He's got a unique look to him. I, I mean, he's. You know, trolls kind of make fun of him and call him fat, and he's not like the the cut guy that um, that you typically see in uh, the WWE. But he's still like, I mean, he's built like a brick crap house. I mean, the dude's <laughs> big. He's got huge arms. Uh, he's got this like like maniacal baby face. Like you know, he looks like he could be friendly, but at the same time, he looks it's kind of creepy and scary. So you know, his gimmick between when he was first introduced is kind of this like almost like New Orleans kind of um, backwater. Uh, redneck guy coming out that was uh, scary in itself, something that might have belonged in like a Resident Evil game or something. And uh, now to this new character where he wears that mask, uh, the fiend, I guess kind of uh, looks into your soul and sees your nightmares and that kind of thing. It, it's all creepy. It's it's uh, it's good, though. Yeah, it's playing off like a dual personality type setup. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was all about it. And like I said, I, I didn't know what I was going into, but all of a sudden you see him walk into like, basically into the funhouse. He goes into that room, he starts talking to that puppet, and then he opens the door and goes in. I'm like, what are we getting into? I mean, it was like a Twilight Zone opening, opening almost. <laughs> My only complaint is that um, it wasn't a wrestling match. I mean, it was a an edited, you know, at least the Undertaker fight. Uh, there was actually fighting going on. And, you know, you could tell that it was highly produced and probably over edited. Uh, but at least there were, you know, there was a story being told. This was just kind of. It was like an acid trip, man. I, only after the fact and at watching it a couple times and getting some of the backstory between these two uh, did I really start to understand the concept and what they were trying to go for here. But I don't know. What did you think of, of, as a whole of this uh, this match? It almost, to me, felt like a going away match. Yeah. For Cena. Cause it, was a, it was a flashback to basically his beginning when he came out and he slapped uh, Kurt Angle. Right. At the beginning of the uh, Ruthless Aggression. And through his whole, his rapping thing and, and everything all the way up to, you know, where they ended. Yeah, it, and honestly, it felt like an homage almost to his career. And then with him, you know, you know, wind up losing the match kind of, well, whatever the hell it was. He was pinned. <laughs> uh, it just, it, it felt trippy as hell. Yeah. I mean, I watched it and I, I didn't know what I really watched. I sat there and I was just kind of staring at the screen. And I felt bad for Zach because Zach was so looking forward to seeing John Cena beat this guy to snot. Yeah. And even I looked at him and said, dude, you know what? John Cena's going to come on later. He's going to beat up the Fiend. And he looks over at me at the end of the match. He's like, Daddy, you said John Cena was going to beat him up. And I'm like, I had nowhere to go with it. I, yeah. there was no, I couldn't say anything because I didn't know. I, I kind of felt, I felt bad. This was his first WrestleMania and his favorite wrestler right. was involved in this hokey, you know, thing that we may have kind of enjoyed for some, you know, weird one-off type thing. But he he didn't care for it. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds about it, honestly. I mean, uh, I think it was interesting. I think, you know, like I said last night, I mean, they swung for the fences with this idea 
um, this this fever dream of a of a of a clip show. Uh, I thought it was an interesting commentary on John Cena's career up until now. I think it fit well with uh, Bray Wyatt's current character. Um, so all that stuff fit and was done uh, fairly well. But I mean, with WrestleMania, like I just want to see a match. When you got the talent of Bray Wyatt and the talent of John Cena, two guys that know what they're doing in the ring, like I want to see an actual match. And for for this to be kind of the highlight of uh, night two for a lot of people, it's 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 certainly divisive. I think people are even either loving it or hating it. Yeah, I'm right on the rope about it. I mean, like you're saying, there was nothing wrestling about this. I mean, there was there really. I mean, there's no argument to that. There there was none. This was all a flashback for for Cena on his career and like I said an homage or going away like I must feel like we're not going to see Cena again for some time I don't know if he's got another movie in the making or or what's going what's actually going to you know go down yeah I mean it's maybe the last time we see him for some time which would be disappointing for Zach yeah I mean it, it almost felt as though like this was kind of an edited clip show that that would lead into an actual match <laughs> like here's uh you know the fever dream this is something that uh, like a bad dream that John Cena had leading up to this actual match and then you know you hear the bell ring and they're actually in the ring and we we see an actual match but this was this was it and I was I was surprised that they never got to it like it's funny this is this is actually the only match that I sat down and watched with my wife cuz she was interested she knew I was going to podcast about it and uh, she was like well you can watch it out here kind of the same with you how your wife uh, gave you the green light to watch it in the living room I was like okay well let's go ahead and turn it on and uh, I go straight to this match you know second thoughts I, I wish I would have turned on the um, Edge and Orton match, but uh, that probably would have been a better use of my time. But yeah, this match here, um, my wife and I were were pretty confused. <laughs> I can only imagine her face. <laughs> I, can, I can just see her sitting there watching. <laughs> That's kind of entertaining to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where else we would go with this. Like, like I said, I, like, I kind of like the, the direction you were going, though. The Fever Dream. And if he even kind of broke out of it and they were still in that Firefly Funhouse arena right. and they had a match, yeah, that would have worked for me. But the whole him turning around, him getting putting some move on him, and then Wyatt pinning him, you know, counting to three, there was nothing there. There was no meat to the real bones. Yeah, it was very anticlimactic. I mean, you kind of, you, you're with it, you're watching it, you're like, okay, where are they going with this? This is interesting. Um, you know, I was enjoying parts with, uh, they were showing like the Saturday Night Special with the old like 80s special effects and them like pumping iron outside of the cage, kind of like. Oh, uh, how about the NWO? Yeah, and the whole bow, NWO. Bow, bow. Um, yeah. Which I guess was commentary on John Cena never really going heel like everybody wanted him to. Uh, the way Hulk Hogan did, but uh, yeah, so you're kind of like you're you're along for the ride. You're like, oh, this is interesting, uh, but you know, it kind of solidified my confusion and my disdain for the uh, for the match itself. Once you realize that that's all they were going to do is just uh, Bray Wyatt or the Fiend gives him the mandible claw, puts him down, and then you see double Bray Wyatt. You see the Fiend. Uh, putting John Cena down for the one, two, three, and then uh, Bray Wyatt without the mask actually giving the one, two, three, and then it's over. And you're like, wait, that's it. They're not doing anything else here. Yeah, it just fades to black. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I, I just feel bad for Zach. That's 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 pretty much where I where I landed on that one. Yeah. So 
I mean, I guess that's a good place to transition into a, a talk of uh, where the WWE goes from here. Um, you know, Vince McMahon does and has always really kind of wanted to promote uh, the WWE as more than just professional wrestling. I mean, he, he wants it to be sports entertainment. He wants it to be more cinematic. Um, and it's always kind of uh, kind of held its place in its own lane. Uh, but here with this WrestleMania and the special circumstances, it kind of gave him free reign. Um, to do all these uh, these special things with these matches, you know, which is good. It's good for them to stretch their legs. But uh, do you think we're going to see more of this kind of avant-garde, like weird style of matches going forward? Or are we going to hit the reset button once we see live crowds back? Uh, I think it may have played differently if the live crowd was there, though. Yeah. I kind of think, I, I, I don't know that for certain, but if I'm kind of thinking back to the Attitude Era when Undertaker had his minions, you know, and everything, uh, the ministry, they kind of had a very similar kind of feel to what the undertaker went through in Matt in you know, night one. Right. And then they didn't do that big, like outside different area, highly produced, you know, movie, but it was, it, it felt familiar for the undertaker. If that makes sense. Right. So that wasn't, I didn't think that was big as a stretch as say the firehouse firefly Funhouse match was God say that five times <laughs> fast. The, yeah. The, that, that match there, it felt more like you said earlier, a, a freaking acid trip. Yeah. So I don't know how much more of this they'll do. I think they'll do this and keep with this as long as they have the fiend. And this is going to be, I think the fiend and the fiend alone. I think they're going to play it on, you know, perception. Yeah. How much did people like it in, or how much, not how much people liked it and how much people didn't like it. How much reaction did they get from it? Oh, yeah. Because if people really hated it or people really loved it, if you get both ends of that spectrum, you won. Yeah. If you get the people kind of like us and we're falling in the middle, you they, they don't want that. They don't want the, you know, the, the tweeners. Right. They want the people that hate it or love it. Yeah, I hear you on that. I think you're right. And um, I don't know. Like with anything, it's tough to say. How the WWE proceeds with uh, their current environment, and they may not be able to do a live show again until August or late summer. Uh, so there's a lot of time to fill and a lot of, of shows, uh, weekly content that they still want to do. I'm sure they'll be doing some pre-tape stuff a lot, um, kind of uh, get a lot of it in the can and uh, ready to uh, kind of put out week to week. But uh, all in all, WrestleMania 36, a very strange one, a very unique one. Uh, uh, WrestleMania, unlike any other, and probably not one that we'll ever see uh, again. <laughs> yeah, no. Hopefully, this is the last one that of its kind. So it will be one of those ones that we talked about, you know, for, you know, for the duration of the company. Yeah, they're gonna look back on this and be like, you know, remember the time that we had nobody right in the arena because of the virus that was happening at the time. So uh, hopefully, this is a one-off, and we don't have to you know, go through any of this crap again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's going to be it for uh, our night two recap of WrestleMania 36. Uh, this is the Dad and Rock podcast. Once again, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Dad and Rock. Just search for us. Uh, you can follow us at Dad and Rock on Twitter. Uh, email us, Sean at DadnaRock.com or Chris at DadnaRock.com. For this episode, we're going to go ahead and say uh, good night and hope you guys enjoy. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs>